Uh, is there anyone in today? I know we've got some people in Icon from Scotland. No. Wales? No. My, my granddad was Welsh, so clap for Wales. Uh, Ireland? Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland, Dave McEwen, give it up. England? Few people. Fantastic. Well, I just want to say Yorkshire, Yorkshire. Just want to say a huge welcome. And if you're new this morning, or if you're new as well, because our Rotherham campus are joining us this morning for the message. If you're new uh, to Icon Church this morning, I want to give you a huge welcome. So come on, church. Let's do that. And we can take, take our seats. Uh, on International Sunday, we've not been able to do this. We do, usually do this every year, usually in the autumn, and um, on International Sunday, and uh, just to celebrate uh, different cultures and to pray into, uh, across our world, and our world needs prayer, doesn't it, in so many places. Um, uh, and uh, we thought, no, let's not wait till the autumn, let's do it, let's do it as soon as we're able. So we brought it forward into this glorious summer, and... Uh, this is fantastic. I want to talk about an invitation to the nations. Um, an invitation to the nations. It's not just an invitation to the nations, but it's an invitation to you and me as well. But you'll see why I've called this message an invitation to the nations. I'm reading from Psalm 96 this morning, which is just an incredible psalm. And it says this, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations. We've done that this morning, haven't we? Just been in seeing people and seeing uh, them represent Zimbabwe for the whim, by the way, this morning. Um, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord. And most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Just get a picture of that just for a moment. Just get a picture of the heavens and splendor and majesty surrounding God. Strength and glory in the place where he dwells. Ascribe to the Lord. All you families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name. Bring an offering and come into his cause. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Come on, why don't we say that together? After three, one, two, three. The Lord reigns. Come on, say it with me in Rotherham. After three, one, two, three. The Lord reigns. The world is firmly established and it cannot be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all of the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. This is a happy psalm, isn't it? 
It's a jubilant psalm. Lots of singing, lots of rejoicing, lots of celebrating. The invitation is for the whole human race, every nation, every tribe, all the people. And, and not, it's not just everyone in this psalm that's happy, all the nations, all the peoples, but everything in this psalm is happy, the whole creations. Let the fields be jubilant, the psalmist says. Let the fields be happy. Let the trees sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice. It's not just everyone, but everything. What a picture of everyone and everything rejoicing and worshipping our God. And why are they worshipping? It's because of his salvation. Proclaim his salvation day after day. It's because of his glory, his power, his splendor, his majesty. And it's because of his justice and faithfulness. Sadly, though, even though this is a happy psalm, it's not the world as we know it. Not everyone is rejoicing today. Not everything is rejoicing and giving thanks to God today. Not every nation is worshipping God. Not every person or nation is doing God's will. Creation itself is not at peace. We have disasters, earthquakes, tsunamis. We have creation out of sync with its original design. We live in a broken world that doesn't just affect human beings and us, but it affects the whole universe. There's oppression. It's a world full of sin. There's oppression, injustice. There's war as we know it. The American poet Langston Hughes wrote this. I'm so tired, aren't you? So tired of waiting for the world to become good and beautiful and kind. What a great line that is. And don't, I, at times, don't we all feel like that? So how do we get from here? Tired of a world, tired of waiting for a world to be good and beautiful and kind, to a world where everything and everyone is rejoicing. Well, this psalm is an invitation. It's an invitation for us. In fact, it's a list of invitations for us to come to that place. Invitations to sing, invitations to ascribe to the Lord his greatness, invitations to let, to let the fields rejoice, to let the trees be jubilant and sing. And three invitations I want to focus on in particular this morning. The invitation to see God's glory, the invitation to sing God's praises, and the invitation to rejoice in God's judgment. See Sing, rejoice. See, sing, rejoice. This week we had some uh, staff training around mental health and the Bible. And um, we talked about neuroplasticity. And I know some of you have talked about that before. The fact that the brain isn't set and fixed. It can change. It can be rewired and refired. And the brain has the ability to change. Never think that you're stuck. You know, you know the saying, you can't teach an old dog's new tricks? It's not true. It's not true because we, our brains can change. Whatever age we are, they can be rewired. In fact, Carolyn Spring said this, we must change our stance before we change our story. She was talking about how our brains, our thoughts, our minds have to change before the rest of our life changes. But in this training, the reason I'm sharing this was... A section on the power of singing. The power of singing. And the mental health benefits of singing. You know, 
Uh, and maybe we'll talk about that more specifically another time. You know, one of the most powerful things in life when you're struggling is worship. It's, it's one of the most powerful things. It's why you turn those worship songs on in the car. But do you know this doesn't just affect us on a spiritual level, but it also affects us, singing affects us on a physical and a cellular level. It actually gets into every cell of our body. So today I want to dive into these three invitations, these three aspects in this song. That is, and these have been given to us, these invitations to the nations that are also invitations to us for our good because God wants us to flourish. It's been given for our health, not only for our health, but for the health of all the nations. The nations are invited, so here's an invitation to all the nations, to all the peoples. We are invited today. So the first of these is the invitation to see. See, what are we invited to see? This psalm tells us what we're invited to see. It's inviting us to see God's goodness, his greatness, and his glory. When was the last time you acknowledged God's greatness? The last time you acknowledged how great God is, how vast he is, how big he is. When was the last time you actually acknowledged his glory? His glory. I had a message from someone this week uh, about how God has been working in their life. It was quite a long message, and I just replied, I'm not very good at long messages because I get so many, but I replied with, God is great. And they replied back, he most certainly is. But you know the stories of people's lives around us, the story of God's being at work, God being at work in your life, it's, it's a moment for us to acknowledge his greatness. He's great. God is great. Through the story of how God is working in people's lives, we can see his greatness. And so the first part of this psalm calls the earth, the people's creation, and the nations to tell everyone about the glory of God. I wonder if we did this in our world, what state our world would be in. I wonder if if the nations decided to worship the Lord and to praise his name and to ascribe the greatness that's due to him. I wonder what state our world would be in, not the state we find ourselves in today. I think about myself and sometimes I think that nature, creation, the natural world understands the glory of God better than I do. Do you ever think that? Do you ever think that? I was listening to Tim Keller preach recently and he quoted George Whitfield and George Whitfield said this, a clam, why you chose a clam, I have no idea, but a clam glorifies God more than I do. He could have chosen a prawn, a prawn glorifies God more than I do. I've got a prawn salad for my picnic, so just to make you jealous. Because he went on to say, because a clam is exactly what God called it to be. He goes on to say, do you know why when you get near them, the birds fly away and the animals hiss and roar and growl at you? It's because they know you have a quarrel with their master. What an incredible thought from Whitfield. You know, we're always looking, aren't we, for the glory of man. We are. I'm I'm looking today for the glory of man. Uh, I'm almost praying that Rory McElroy wins the Open. Almost praying. I'm not sure you should pray for things like that, but I'm almost praying 
that he wins the open. We're looking for the glory of man. We love the glory of man. We are made in the image of God. We have got so, we're fascinating beings. There's so many things we can do. But we have turned the world inward onto us. But we're invited today to see not just the glory of man, but the greatness and glory of God, of which the glory of man is a pale reflection. We're invited to look beyond human scope and we're invited to look into the heavens and see the splendor and the wonder and the power and the majesty of our God. Why are we invited to look there? Because we're all going to worship something. And if we fail to see the greatness and glory of God, if our eyes don't see that, we'll make idols out of something else or someone else. And the problem with idols is they never fully satisfy. Make an idol out of leisure and it will never fully satisfy. Nothing wrong with leisure. Make an idol out of fitness. Nothing wrong with fitness. But it'll never fully satisfy. Make an idol out of self. And you'll never fully satisfy yourself. Riches, sex, relationships, possessions. No idol can ever fully satisfy. There's a famous quote from David Foster Wallace. I sometimes truncate this if I use it. But I'm going to give it you in a bigger form this morning. Because I think you can take it on International Sunday, don't you? And I knew Rotherham were joining us. And I know that they can take it in Rotherham. He says this. If you worship money and things... If they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You'll never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, bromides, epigrams, parables. It's the skeleton of every great story. The trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power and you will feel weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to keep that fear at bay. Worship your intellect Being seen as smart and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on, and so on. But you know, we're invited today not just to look for the glory of things or the glory of man. We're invited to see today, see the glory of God. And we're invited to worship God by seeing his greatness and his glory. I've got to mention this before. I move on. Psalm 19 and verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of your hand. Did you see the pictures from space this week? From the, whatever, James Webb telescope. These, this telescope apparently can receive light from 7,600 light years away. Oh. And that's probably just a hair on God's little finger. 7,600 light years away. Here's here's a couple of pictures. This is the first picture. Now, like I look at that, this is just in space, 7,600 light years away. You never see it with a neck. Go back to the first one. 
That's a picture of stars being born. That's a womb for stars being born. Here's the next picture, 7,600. This is a star dying, 7,600 light years away. The heavens declare the glory of God. Don't you think we should praise him this morning? You know, scientific discovery began to look at the world and the way it works because it was people who wanted to delve into how God's glory is seen in creation. That's how scientific discovery began. What does it mean for us today to see God's glory? It's not just to look through a telescope and see some stars. No, to see God's glory is to ascribe to the Lord his supreme importance. To say of our God, you are before all things, and in you all things hold together. To know that and to say it. You know, the Greek word for glory, uh, sorry, not the Greek, the Hebrew word for glory is the word kavod or kabod, and it means weight. To recognize God's glory is to recognize that in comparison to the Lord, everything else is weightless. In comparison to God, the glory of man, the greatness of man, weightless. In comparison to God, billionaire, billion pounds, weightless. In comparison to God, anything else, weightless. It's the glory of God is a recognition and ascribing to the Lord his supreme importance. Because everything depends on him. And because it depends on him, everything else is temporary. And it's passing away. It's just a breath. Everything else. Its importance then is minimal. Because God is without compare. And we're invited today to see his glory. Make anything more important than God. We're investing in things then that are not glorious. Things that have no substance, things that won't last, things that will fade away. And so today, church, we're invited. Today, nations of the world are invited again to see the greatness and the glory of God. We're invited in our lives today. And we're invited, we're prophesying and inviting the nations today to make God the most important thing. To ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. You know, as Christians, sometimes I think our uh, view of God's glory is quite limited. There are places we go to for our shot of joy or our moment of joy. Maybe your place is Romans 8, 28. Anyone love that verse? For we know in all things God works together for good. Anybody like that verse? We know God works together. Me too. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know a lot of you like that verse because we had a season in our church where everybody that came on stage said, I'm just going to read from Jeremiah 29, 11. I got bored with Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm not anymore. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And maybe you need to hear that today. And that's where you go for your shot of joy. One of our favorites here at uh, Icon Church is Ephesians 3.20. God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power work in us. But those are aspects of God's glory. We're invited to see 
his greatness and his glory today. And if we can do that, I believe we can experience joy continually. Joy in the midst of trial. Peace in every circumstance. If you can see how great and glorious God is, it will manifest in your life as peace. It will manifest in your life as joy. Anybody ready to view the glory of God today? Come on. Sing. The second thing we're invited to do is sing. Even I'm invited to sing. Not by the creative team. That invitation has never come my way. I was once asked uh, by our worship pastor at the time, Gavin Lloyd, please don't sing. I used to do that pastor singing thing, you know, at the end of the service where you go back into the song. I used to get the mic and I used to think this is my moment. And I used to sing along and Gavin had to say to me, Paul, please don't sing. I was obedient. I stopped singing. But we're invited. We're all invited to sing. Three times in verses 1 and 2, the nations are invited and we're invited to sing. And I learned this week and we learned this week that singing has such a positive effect upon us. Particularly when we sing in community and we sing together. Sing to the Lord, verse 1, a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Then in verse 12, the trees are invited to join in, to join the choir. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Sing joyfully, the scripture says. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation, his deliverance, his rescue day after day. It's an invitation, but it's not just an invitation. It's a command. It's not just metaphorical. It's not just like, oh, like, think about singing. No, it's actual. Sing. It's why the church has been singing worship for 2,000 years. It's why the Old Testament is full of songs and poems and prophecies that were set to music. Sing. It's why in, in the Old Testament you get prophecies when people are struggling and going through difficult times. That there are, are phrases like, sing, O barren woman who has never borne any children. There's this invitation to sing in those moments. We're commanded to worship this way. And we see God's glory and greatness in worship. Because worship is the only way to stop us investing. Worshiping God is the only way to stop us investing in something fake. The only way to stop us investing in something that it's going to fade away. Something that will have no lasting benefit or impact on our life. Worship God or worship something weightless. Without meaning. Destined to fade away. The Apostle Paul, who writes a lot of the New Testament, says that one of the signs of being full of the Spirit is singing. He's singing. He says this in Ephesians 5 18 to 20. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, singing to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, this isn't, this isn't a public health statement, but I hated those two, those periods where we couldn't sing. I, I, I did. It's not a public health announcement, but I hated that period. 
Because I know we are meant to sing and to declare the praises of God. It's a sign of being full of the Holy Spirit. Because what you sing about fills your heart. It gets into your heart. It gets into the seat of your affection. I want to say that it impacts us on a cellular level in our life. Imagine every cell in your body being filled with the glory of God. Being filled with the Spirit of God. I believe that singing God's praises can do that. I've told you several times before that sometimes I I, I come to church and I'm in a a funk. I'm not happy about something in my life. Not not too often, don't worry. Um, uh, I can be down, I can be depressed like you. I can have had a disappointing week, a hard week. Sometimes I can come because in that way because someone criticized me, wrote me a nasty letter. Don't get many. I get the odd one. Things may be not going well. But many times I've come to church feeling like that. But at the moment, I've be, the moment I've begun to sing God's praises, somehow that has lifted off of me. That anxiety, that, that disappointment, that hardship, that difficulty has just gotten into a different perspective because as I sing and as we sing, we are declaring and seeing the greatness and the glory of God. So many of you have told me it's true as well of your, of your lives. At times I felt like King Saul in the Old Testament who the Bible said an evil spirit used to come and trouble him and then David would come and play a harp and the spirit would leave him. Well, at times I felt like that. I felt like I've just got this spirit that's troubling me, that's giving me a hard time. But as we've begun to sing together, the spirit ran away and the Holy Spirit rushed in. Oh, that's how worship is powerful. Anyone else experience that? We are told what to sing. We're told to declare his salvation day after day. We're not here to sing spam, 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 spam. Can you remember that? That's not our song. Our song is the Lord is great and we're told to declare his salvation. In the Old Testament, that would be them singing about the Exodus, how God delivered them from 400 years of slavery. For us in the New Testament, it's singing about Jesus and his cross, cross, how he has freed us from prison and powerlessness. And he has freed us from the punishment of sin that humanity has known forever. We weren't just slaves for 400 years. Humanity has been slaves to sin forever. But Jesus on that cross took the power of sin and he crucified it and he has set us free. Yeah, come on, let's praise him. So declaring his salvation, we're singing about his freedom, his forgiveness. We're singing about his loving kindness. That song is powerful. You know, there's many people who sing in life and they still live terrible lives because what you sing matters. What you sing matters, and we're invited to sing about the glory of God. The scripture even tells us, the Psalms tell us, that praise can bind up our enemies and bring about God's will. Psalm 149, I'm not going to read it this morning, but it tells us that it can bind up our enemies and bring about God's will. Time to sing. Uh, You all know, most of you know, five years ago I was ill and I was in hospital for quite a while. 
and it was very serious. And of course, our kids were worried, and my youngest son, Sam, uh, was, was quite worried. He was really despaired. He didn't want to lose his dad. He didn't want his dad to die. And uh, if you asked him, how, Sam, how did you get through that? He had a particular song on repeat. And he had to have it playing in the car constantly as he traveled anywhere. And he had to sing the song. And it's a song by Hillsong. And it's called Not Today. Yeah. <laughs> Not Today. He was declaring in his singing, you're not taking my dad today. And uh, here's some lyrics from that song. Trouble won't throw me, won't break me, won't scare me no more. Maybe you need to sing this song today. Trouble won't throw you, won't break me, won't scare me no more. Fear must have thought I was faithless when it came from my heart. Because I've got a song that will never die. Everything else is fading away. But the song of salvation will never die. I know your love is the reason why. So I'll sing the night into the morning. I'll sing the fear into your praise. I'll sing the, my soul into your presence. Whenever I say your name, let the devil know, not today. Not to, does anybody need to tell the devil, not today? Today? Anybody ready to sing the night into the morning, fear into praise, tell the devil not today. We need to sing God's freedom and salvation over our lives. We need to sing God's freedom and salvation over our nations. Come on, somebody. We need to see and we need to sing. And the last thing we're invited to do, or the last focus for me this morning is we're invited to rejoice in God's judgment. That seems a strange thing, doesn't it? God's judgment, good news. What is joyful judgment? The end verses says, say this, let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. The psalm hasn't changed atmosphere. It's still a happy song. It's still a song of celebration. And yet now this is a song that's rejoicing in the judgment of God. And the reason it's rejoicing is that in the judgment of God is this, because God is just, God is fair, and he will judge with equity. He has no partiality. And that God's judgment that it speaks about is that moment when God puts everything right. Everything right that has been spoilt by sin. Everything right that has been spoilt by Satan. Everything right that has been spoilt by rebellion. That moment of God's judgment, God puts everything right. And so the scriptures say to us, rejoice. Because there is a day when God will make everything right. Romans 8 tells us that we're in this place where all creation is groaning. I said it earlier, didn't I, that this psalm is not the world as we know it just yet. Not only does creation groan, but we too are growing. We're tired. Tired of waiting. Tired of waiting for the world to be good and beautiful and kind. Let me read Romans 8, to 23 to us. We know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, 
the redemption of our bodies. Creation groaning. We're groaning. But we're invited to rejoice because there is a future. When he will wipe away all tears from our eyes. There is a future when he will make all things new. And he will put all things right. Let me take you to a scene in heaven from the book of Revelation. There are several scenes in heaven from the book of Revelation. And it, uh, Revelation 15, 3 says this. They sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. King of the nations. There's a moment that we're singing about. There's a moment that we're celebrating. When Jesus becomes King of kings and Lord of lords. And he takes his place as ruler over the nations. God judges with fairness and equity. Everything gets put right. You might say, what that's got to do with me? Well, I asked myself the question... How's it going to go for me on that day? Because that's judgment day. And it's the time to pay. It's the time when all things are brought before his throne. Where there's a moment in heaven where God says, Benja, it's time to pay. It's time to stand before the judgment seat. But I can't pay. I can't. I can't pay for my sins. I can't pay for my iniquities. I can't pay for my wrongdoings. I can't pay for my wrong thoughts. I can't pay for my wrong actions. I can't pay for my life. I can't do it. It would be useless, futile to try and pay. But I stand before the judgment seat and it's time to pay. But I can't pay. And that's exactly why this psalm tells us rejoice in his salvation. Because he saves us. We can't pay, but he's already paid for our salvation. He's already paid. And the psalm tells us to rejoice in our salvation and to live in a way that pleases him. To see his glory and to sing his praise. You see, this is the gospel. This is the good news of the gospel, that you and I, it's futile for us to try and pay for our wrongdoing, but we don't have to. We can trust in the payment that has been made through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Some people think this is the gospel. God hates you, but if you trust in Jesus' death, God will love you. No, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is this. God has always loved you. And he most fully demonstrates that love through Jesus dying for you. Jesus gave his life so that we could live. How will it go for you on that day? How will it go for me on that day? I can't pay, but I trust the death of Jesus. I trust the person of Jesus. I trust him.